0: hello and welcome to the price of football the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me kevin day and liverpool university's kieran maguire and i believe kieran you are in liverpool as we speak
1: i am indeed yes i'm I'm, term has restarted so uh, i've got a class that i'm Really looking forward to, as always. Um, I'm just as irritatingly cheerful in class as, as I am um, on the podcast. It oh, really I... pisses off students for a nine o'clock lecture.
0: Yeah, I bet students love that, really. The, the fact that they've dragged themselves out of bed and sirs laughing and joking and quoting Buzzcock's lyrics just to keep them happy, a band they've never heard of and their dads don't like. Uh, yeah, it's nine o'clock is early to be irritatingly cheerful. It's, it's quarter past one now. <laughs> and it's in the in the afternoon as well it's um that's amazing i'm up before everybody listening says the same thing uh you had a, an interesting day in that there london yesterday though kieran didn't you because you appeared uh in somewhere you're reluctant to name as the house of commons
1: <laughs> uh yeah I, I was in the westminster vicinity <laughs> yeah. um and was invited to to give oral evidence to the dcs committee dcms committee with regards to uh, non-fungible tokens and fan tokens uh, in in the world of football, and I was there with uh, Joey Derso, who's one of the investigative guys from uh, from the Athletic. And, and, and you know how you say that, yeah? You know, God, bloody policemen are looking younger and younger these days. Well, investigative journalists are looking younger and younger these days as well. Um, and Joey was very professional uh, and turned up in a suit, and I turned up in a t-shirt.
0: Well, yeah, Kieran, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to have to have words basically. And um, uh, before that, I have to say, irritatingly cheerful you may be, but only you can make the words "give oral evidence" sound both sinister <laughs> and euphemistic. You can't just say I was talking to these people. Uh, was was Tracy there? I'm guessing not, judging by the way you were dressed.
1: No, no. It was uh, Julian Knight, who's the head of DCMS. He was mm-hmm. chairing the meeting, so I, I did get to hear those words "order, order" at the start, and he bangs a gavel, and it was sort of very, uh, very, very, as you would imagine it to be, sort of very precise. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it was good fun. We, I think, it was uh, four MPs that uh, that were grilling us with questions. Um, I, th- I don't think they're a huge fan of NFTs. And uh, fan tokens, although uh, there were two organisations from the industry itself who were asked to attend, but for reasons known to themselves, Mm. I can only assume, uh, they they decided to pull out.
0: Yeah, this is where uh, the the difference between you and IKEA is because they know... I'm so immature that as soon as I heard him go, order, order, I'd be obliged for comedy reasons to go, I'll have two pints of lager, mate. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, uh, Joey Durso uh, is a great journalist. And there he was, Kieran, as you say, suitably dressed for the occasion. I have to say the last time I was in the House of Commons was having lunch with Ken Livingstone, which just goes to show how long ago ago it is since both Ken Livingstone and I were politically relevant. But I I was asked to wear a suit, Kieran, and there you were in a – what looked like a Fred Perry, and and some jeans, and dressed as somebody on Twitter said, like you were heading to Glastonbury to sell pills to kids. <laughs> I, I, is there not a dress code? Do You know, when you get invited to these, are you, are you going to dress like that at the coronation, Kieran? Yeah. Well, well, I'm I'm a fan of
1: British culture, and you can't get more British culture than, than Fred Perry I and mean, in proper boy style. I had my top button up, done up as well. Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> So, um, I, I, it's we're we're there to represent the terraces, as far as I'm concerned, and that's how I dress on the terraces.
0: Kieran, you're there to represent possibly the country's uh, biggest football, sport, finance uh, podcast. Basically, <laughs> that's what you're there to represent. Interesting, I, I did watch a bit of it, uh, not deliberately. I just got sent so, so many of our listeners have managed to find the time to watch it, which is incredible. Uh, interesting that Joey Derso talked about Turkey being a huge market for uh, NFTs because uh, my understanding is that certainly uh, at Palace, my club, and at some of the other Premier League clubs, it's in Turkey that a lot of the NFTs are being bought and sold even though they are for English Premier League clubs.
1: Yes, and the reason for that is that Turkey is suffering from rampant inflation. If, if we think it's bad here... At, uh, yeah, at 10%, it's, it's far higher in Turkey. So therefore, the lira is no longer a, a currency of, of stable value. Um, and as anybody that's ever experienced hyperinflation know, you, what you do is, is, is you're looking for a third party. Now, many people would have converted into those. I remember when I was in Peru in 1989 and there was a military coup um, whilst I was take whilst I was there, prices went up by four thousand percent in a day. So, wow. you know, from 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 a domestic point of view, it was a nightmare. I had all of my money in dollars, and, and therefore was unaffected. But what we are seeing in Turkey is uh, some people, and this this includes a huge speculative element. They're saying, "Well, we think that there is value in digital products." And what you see when a new product is launched is that. Quite often, there will be a relatively few number of investors stroke speculators who will pile into the product itself, trying to create a bit of hype, trying to drive up the price and then sell um, and let yeah leave somebody else holding the baby. And, and the reason why this is more likely to happen in an economic environment such as Turkey is that if you've got no faith in your own currency, then... You're more inclined to to take a punt on an alternative. Personally, I would stick to the dollar or the Swiss franc, but yeah, I, I can equally understand people who want to make money because you're not going to make money uh, by putting money putting anything into the dollar. You just get you get stability. Um, if if you want to try to make money, then something which is being hyped um, is is an alternative. But uh, you know, as we've seen, the the level of transactions in the in in the palace fan token uh, has significantly fallen since that initial interest mainly being driven by turkey and also the price has fallen as well and, and this this isn't anti-palace because if you take a look at the price of nearly all tokens since they've launched um they, they have headed in a in a southerly direction
0: yeah i, I have to say i was never more proud of uh, palace fans yesterday and uh... Uh, ability to illustrate how football fans everywhere will seize a conspiracy theory out of anything. Uh, One of the other lads mentioned the Turkey socios thing and uh, people buying Palace NFTs in Turkey and immediately said that confirmed what he'd heard from a bloke who works with Joel Ward's cousin uh, the minicab company, <laughs> that Wilf Sahar was going to Galatasaray. So what other reason could there be for people in Turkey to be buying NFTs at Palace other than Wilf is definitely going to Galatasaray, as confirmed by Joel Ward's cousin, in the minicab office? Anyway, Kieran, it's newsday. Um yes. We don't have that many news stories today, but uh, unfortunately they do include the usual suspects. But mm. first of all, the, the biggest one is... Uh, latest on Manchester United, who we should have mentioned last week, Kieran, have gone to a third round of uh, bids uh, when they said initially that there would only be one.
1: Yes. Um, This is the Rain group, who are the advisors to the Glazer family, um, not getting the level of interest that they'd hoped for. I think we're aware that... um, in respect of Chelsea, first of all, I believe there were about a hundred uh, significant bidders, and then the the final price was far in excess of expectations, um, and that to a certain extent set the rare, set the rares running, or no the hairs running um, in in relation to what we've seen in respect of the reaction from both Manchester United and the Glazer family and Liverpool and FSG. The Liverpool, FSG seem to be sort of backtracking now. Um, they are. Looking for uh, a a third bid. Now, to me, that suggests that both uh, Sheikh Jassim and uh, Jim, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, are not increasing their first bids by very much. There's probably little or no difference between their initial two bids. And they're just trying to squeeze um, a little bit more right at the last minute in exactly the same way that you would expect an auctioneer to behave. So for any of you who are fans of bargain hunt, you will will know the the strategy which is used by the auctioneer. Um, And now I think the Glazers are sitting back and saying, well, we thought we were going to get $6 in which case we would be willing to walk away. The bids seem to be quite a way short of that. And we have uh, a bit of familial conflict. So uh, familial conflict is, is is very, very common. You've only got to look at uh, the Gallagher brothers in Oasis. You've only got to look at Succession or, or, or Dallas, for those of you of an older nature, um, to, to know that it, it's always good copy. But what appears to be the case is that two of the, the Glazer children, um, we keep referring to those children. They're in their fifties and sixties. I don't know what we call them, children. Uh, but two of the Glazers, uh, Kevin and sorry Joel and Avram, want to uh, stay uh, in control of the club. And I, I crunch some numbers this morning, and if. The other four Glazers do sell their shares and they convert from B shares to A shares. Now, the issue with Manchester United is that although the Glazers only own around about 68% of the shares, they've got 95% of the votes. And the reason for that is that Manchester United has two types of share. The A shares, which are traded on the New York Stock Exchange, it's one share equals one <coughs> vote And the B shares, which are owned exclusively by the Glazers, it's one share equals 10 votes. If the Glazers, four of the Glazers sell their shares, they convert into A shares. So you could end up with the rather crazy situation in which um, the the two remaining Glazers, uh, Avram and Joel, own 24% of the shares, but still have 75% of the votes. And people are saying, well, who would buy shares under those circumstances? But the answer is lots of people in America. Because uh, that's the way that the American market seemed to work, and if you take a look at the the big tech companies, the likes of Facebook and so on, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and others have have encouraged that type of of market where uh, they only own a small proportion of the business, but still have sort of day to day control, and they are deemed to be sort of the the brains behind the business. I'm, I'm not sure that the Glazer family are seen. As, as being uh, masterminds, though, so um, we then come into the financial investment giant uh, group called Carlisle, and the stories which are coming out and yet lots of people are leaking stories and Manchester United is always good copy when you talk to journalists, so th- there's, there's lots of communication between the journalists. Um, and some of these parties are quite happy to leak stories. This group, Carlisle, very, very wealthy fund. Um, it's looking at a minority investment, either for itself or alternatively on, for the benefit of, of some clients. And this would allow potentially um, four, four of the Glazers to sell out, uh, Joel and Avram to uh, maintain control and no money comes to the club and yeah, people have raised this on, on social media today um, yeah, the elephant in the room at Old Trafford is is Old Trafford itself mm. uh, yeah, we, we've said before yeah, the toilets are absolutely disgusting the catering is 1970 standard uh, the seats are tiny uh, and uh, yeah, yes it's it's an iconic and famous stadium but its facilities are, are, are way behind the curve um, and, and Old Trafford will not be used uh, should England and, and the home nations and, and the Republic of Ireland uh, be successful in hosting Euro 2028? Now, the FA are saying, well, the reason for that is that Manchester United might be having some redevelopment uh, there. But we've just seen Manchester City announce redevelopment at uh, at, uh, at the Etihad. And yet, yet the Etihad is part of the, the, the long list of, of, of stadiums to be used. So, so that's where we are with... That part of the United bid.
0: Uh, and what's happened to our uh, old friend the crowdfunding attempt from the guy in Finland?
1: Yes. Um, well, it was. Uh, it, it, it's the old saying, isn't it? it it's, it's better to it, it's better to burn out than fade away. <laughs> and uh, he he did that very quickly. So so this is uh, Thomas uh, Ziliacus who. Uh, appeared to come from nowhere after the deadlines had been made. And I I think we were quite jaundiced, stroke cynical about the fact that why is he announcing his interest in buying Manchester United effectively via social media and a press release and nothing seems to have gone through the correct channels. So so there was a a degree of scepticism there. And he 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 appeared after the first bids, and he came up with his great idea of crowdfunding in order to uh, provide uh, the the means to buy the shares off the Glazer family. But how this crowdfunding was going to take place, it was it was long on hype and short on detail, uh, as far as his his uh, concerns were. And then he says, "It's all a fix. It's all a conspiracy. The the Rain Group are now." Uh, looking for a third round of bids. So, on a point of principle, um, I'm uh, I'm withdrawing my interest. And people going, well, you were never really seriously interested. What has happened is you've got a few more followers on social media, and for, you know, for three for three weeks, you managed to get free publicity for for your other you know your other uh, build your other operations. So, uh, I think this is indicative of the the power of Manchester United. You know, people remember going right back to the 1990s and uh, people might remember Michael Knighton who who turned up on uh, at old Trafford one day he said I'm going to buy Manchester United for, for 10 million pounds and all the time I go, 10 million pounds mm. what, a, what a sum of money he, he, he did a f- couple of uppies <clears throat> in, yeah. uh, in front of the in front of the Stratford end everybody cheered him and then of course he failed to uh, fail to materialize with the Dosh um, and that's that's part of the romance, that's part of the, the theatre and the pantomime that is uh, that is football, and it stretches back many years.
0: I love Bargain Hunt, by the way. For those of us who work at home, it's a great way of uh, passing the time away between that late morning dip and the early afternoon biscuit. It's fantastic. Ali, Ali likes it less so, because I constantly hear her going, will you stop shouting, don't buy that, mate, it's shit. <laughs> <coughs> I'm trying to work. And she knows if I go quiet, it's because Catherine Salfon's on. I like Catherine. Um, You you tweeted, Kieran, a couple of days ago, something that uh, confused me, not because of the way you tweeted it, but because of the way my mind works. It was about the the share price at United uh, dropping because of fears Mm. that the Glazers may be staying in charge. I I thought the one thing I knew about stocks and shares and people who invested in them was that they liked stability. So I was slightly confused by the idea that them actually staying at the club was freaking the markets.
1: Well, yeah, I think under normal circumstances when we don't have an outstanding M&A deal uh, on the table, you're absolutely right, but but what we have here is if you, if we go go back to Manchester United's share price um, as, as recently as last sort of July stroke, August, it was around about ten and a half dollars, which was way below uh, the, the initial launch price of the shares when when the Glazers brought the club to the New York Stock Exchange in 2012. And then they had their announcement that, oh, we're interested in strategic investment partnerships. And everybody read into that. They're willing to sell out. And then when people, when the rumours were going around what well, they're looking for six billion. People said, "Well, six billion, you know, that works out as a, you know, a share price of you know thirty five dollars or something like that." So, so people piled into Manchester United shares on a speculative basis. It was a bit like Eddie Murphy in Trading Places because. If I buy the shares at $10 and I can sell them for $35, i am going to make a profit. Um, even if I buy at 15 or 20 and 25 I can still potentially make a profit. And this is all upon the supposition that there will be a significant sale of Manchester United and that somebody, be it Jim Ratcliffe, be it Sheikh Jazeem, will come in and they'll say, right, yeah, we're prepared to pay you know, $32, $35. And, and Manchester United's share price went as high as... $27, $28. And then since then, you know, since the stories of the, the RAIN group are now turning into to, to, to market hustlers, yeah, you know, they're trying to you know, extract a bit more interest. When, when the second bid deadline came and went and nothing really happened, the share price dipped. And now the stories are circulating that we could have a situation in which um, there will not be a transfer of control and uh, there won't be a, a full bid from uh, either Ratcliffe or Jassim uh, at the price that the Glazers are looking for, then you've got to say, well, what's propping up Manchester United's share price? Because it, it's, not, it's not the profitability. If you take a look at Manchester United's financial performance since it was acquired by the Glazer family in 2005, overall, the club has lost money mainly because of the huge amounts that it's given to the banks in the form of interest, especially in the in, in the early years of the acquisition. So there's nothing fundamental propping up that share price. So it's now dipped below $20 because some of the people who had bought the shares on speculation or rather than on the fundamentals of the value of the business are thinking, I'd better get out because if this deal doesn't go through, we could be back at ten dollars in in six months. And under those circumstances, you know, you, you'd end up. Yeah, you know, I bought at eighteen, I bought at twenty in the hope it was going into thirty odds. Um, and and now they're, they're they're getting out before everybody else gets out.
0: Excuse me. You mentioned Chelsea, Kieran. Uh, this is not a news story, but now you've mentioned it, I'd like to bring this up. I was watching BT Sports coverage of the Chelsea Madrid game the other night, and. I felt a little bit like a proud father hearing Rio Ferdinand use the word amortisation, because really? yeah, because I suspect that either he or someone at BT Sport have been listening to our pod. But they were talking about Chelsea's possible FFP things and also the the problems of offloading players that are on mm. eight year contracts, uh, a gazillion pound a year. But, but Joe Cole actually made a very perceptive comment. I thought. When he said that people like Todd Burley and other billionaires who are buying English football clubs, they, they're they probably well used to having 30 high-level managers on about £150,000 a week. Um, but that 30 high-level managers are not all competing for 18 jobs mm. a week. Mm. He said basically what Chelsea have done is they've built themselves a squad of 30 millionaires uh, for 15 places on a match or 20 places on a, on a match day basis, so of course, 10 of them are going to be unhappy. I thought that's quite an interesting comment.
1: It is. I think he's, he's absolutely nailed it. There, there has been no. Yeah, you know, remember. Yeah, you know, we always say this isn't a football show, but it, from a financial point of view, what what they have done in just buying anybody that, yeah, I think anybody that's read Brighton. Brighton Rock by Graham Greene got got signed by them you know, <laughs> when, when Potter first arrived, wasn't it? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that Cookeray falls into that category, though. Um, but uh, th- there there has been a huge spend. Now, now the stories that I'm hearing is that although they have signed these players like uh, Fernandez, Mudra, Cookeray, and Sterling, and so on, with the exception of Raheem Sterling, none of them are on what you would call eye-watering contracts. I, uh, I, okay. I know this sounds very glib. I think yeah, Raheem Sterling will be yeah, one of the top five highest paid players in the country. But the rest, because they've come from the likes of Benfica and Brighton and so on, they're, they're quite happy. They're quite happy to slum it on you know, 100, 110 grand a week because it's far still, still two or three times potentially what they might have been on at their previous clubs. And if you lock them in for eight or nine years, that actually can be beneficial to the club. Provided the players turn out to be good. Now, if if they don't, then you you still have a financial headache. Um so I, I think Chelsea and Todd Bowie thought they were being smart, um, but it's it's not come to fruition. Um I'm I've not got any sympathy for him whatsoever, and you know the reasons why and of you know the reasons why I can't say that on air.
0: Mm. <clears throat> I wish we could share that, Kieran. But- I can feel Guy's buttocks twitching from here. (laughs) I know we're not a football pod, Kieran, but it does seem odd to me. You've got all that talent and yet you still leave the two best attacking players. You've got Raheem Sterling and Mason Mount on your bench at the start of a Mm -hmm. game in which you've got to score two goals. Peterborough United, Kieran, are a club that rarely uh, touch our radar, but when they do, it's always quite drastic.
1: Yes. um, Peterborough United are going from green to amber Mm. in terms of my traffic light of clubs collection at present, I've got to be honest. Um, What we have seen here, and remember the, the company which I think owns the stadium has gone into receivership and there's some sort of dispute between some of the owners and there's other things taking place as well um, but what we have now seen and, and again I think you've got to give credit to the people at the EFL who have who have really upped their game in, in terms of monitoring clubs and you know, doing, doing the dull stuff but stuff which can be important is that they've given uh, Peterborough United a suspended three points penalty I think it's to the end of this year um, they've been fined £50,000 but also Um, David Payton the reason for this um, points deduction is to do what we what we refer to as relevant persons a relevant person is somebody who has control or influence over a football club and this is the chief executive and um, we don't know the exact details but he he was a relevant person in the sense of the the nature of his job Um, and this hadn't been declared to the, uh, the EFL regulatory bodies and he's been given a two-year ban um, on, on the back of this. Um, if you take a look at the the comments on the website, effectively Peterborough United have said, yep, fair cop, um, you know, we didn't intend to do this but we accept that we, we, we are in breach of the rules and it doesn't look as if they're going to try to appeal uh, but it does make you slightly uncomfortable that but following what we've seen happen with regards to the stadium issues, mm. um, there does appear to be some sort of conflict at at senior level. Uh, given that I think the, the ground is owned by one of the investors and the football club's owned by some of more of the investors, that uh, things are a bit uneasy at uh, at London Road. Um, and you know, all I can say is it's it's one of those grounds which I love attending as an away fan. You know because it's you, you've got a long long terrace area uh, for the away end. And uh, I've had some spectacular moments there.
0: Yeah, you've also got the perfect length train journey as well, because you've got, if you're coming from London, because you've got time for a couple of beers, but not time enough to get too drunk, so you don't remember the game. Uh, uh, Newcastle, I'm talking to you. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Manscaped. Everyone is aware by now that nose hairs are a major turnoff. That's why Manscaped have upgraded to their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 Nose and Hair Trimmer. With improved blades and motor, you can feel the power of nasty nose hair annihilation in the palm of your hands. And the improved Weed Whacker can now be found in their performance package 4.0 for no additional cost. Take a look at manscaped.com and use the code PriceOfFootball for 20% off and free shipping. Take a look at manscaped.com and use the code PriceOfFootball for 20% off and free shipping. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 uses a powerful
1: 7,000 RPM motor with an improved steel blade system that upgrades the cutting performance from their first generation to better whack your weeds. It also comes with skin safe technology which helps reduce nicks, and snags and tugs. It's cordless, rechargeable and has a battery with up to 45 minutes of runtime.
0: Can you imagine 45 minutes on your nostrils? So get 20% off and free shipping with the code Price of Football, all in big letters Price of Football at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use that code Price of Football. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace, Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action.
1: My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
0: You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Two stories coming out of Birmingham, Kieran, Birmingham City, one involving possible new owners and one involving some possible old owners.
1: Yes. um, The first of these stories, it has come from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, where where Birmingham's owners are based, and, and Birmingham... Uh, Birmingham shares are traded uh, on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. So uh, because it is a a, what we refer to as a listed market, um, there is a greater degree of compliance and and security there. Uh, It looks as if two of the the biggest shareholdings which are held, which together um, account for 46% of uh, Birmingham shares, and I believe that people are sort of trying to work out exactly who does own Birmingham because things start going a bit offshore quite quickly. Mm. But there is an indication now, and this has been confirmed in a stock exchange announcement, that the club – is, uh, is seeking new ownership or rather the owners are seeking new ownership for 46%. And then if they, they pick up a few more shareholdings, they could have a, a controlling interest once they get to 50% plus one. Um, so I, I think that is is good news because the the Birmingham owners are, are sort of classic absentee landlords in the sense that uh, they, they don't get involved in, in terms of engagement with the fan base. And like many absentee landlords, they they let the property go to rack and ruin. And and sadly, that is what has happened at St. Andrews. And uh, I I first went there in 1981, and not a lot has improved since Mm. then. And Mm. and the owners have to take some responsibility for that. Um, So we we could have new owners on the back of this, but I think the EFL are also having their work cut out because they want to ensure that... uh, uh, there, there is transparency and clarity with regards to whoever takes over uh, at, at St. Andrews. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to call it you know, the, whatever, the trillion trophy stadium, because it's not it's St. Andrews, mm. um, as, as any football fan will, will attest. Uh, so, so that's where we are in respect of the first issue. The second issue, um, and I, I think we have sort of mentioned this in passing uh, once or twice, Um uh, Matt Southall, um, who uh, Charlton fans and uh, Rochdale fans, they will be they will all be having nervous ticks at the very mention of that name. Uh, he he was uh, a part owner of Charlton Athletic. His tenure there was brief and spectacular, but not spectacular in a positive way. He he then was involved in a hostile takeover of Rochdale. Um, which which resulted in a lot of aggravation um, and a lot of angst uh, up up in that north north, north Manchester area. Uh, a local businessman called Paul, Paul Richardson and, and a, a former footballer Maxi Lopez. Um, they all ended up as running the football club um, without formally being shareholders. Um, and, and that was in breach of EFL rules. So again, they've been given a suspended sentence with regards to their involvement as far as, as running a club is concerned. Um, Matt, Matt Southall's suspension uh, can't can't be too short as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. Charlton and Rochdale fans won't agree with me, Kieran, but there's almost a sense of chutzpah in the fact that three people who were nowhere near owning the club, simply turned up at work on a Monday morning and carried on as though they owned the club. How was that allowed to happen?
1: Well, yeah, as, as we've established, the, uh, the, the current owners at Birmingham um, have been absentee. I mean, I believe that there was a £30 million deal agreed in principle uh, okay. for Southall, Richardson and Lopez right. to acquire the club. And effectively, they then put into place... Their uh, their chosen few to operate the club on a day to day basis, so they did have operational control without having formal ownership, and and this is why they breached the EFL regulations. Um, and I think it's it's further indication that the people who are in charge of football do have a pretty tough job. And you know, whilst we have uh, been critical at times, um, we also have to give credit for those people who who are trying to you know, play whack-a-mole with – it's not 72 clubs because the vast majority of clubs are run uh, in a professional manner, but uh, there are some hardy perennials, which uh, you know, it's, it's a bit like as a teacher. You know, um, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a classic Pareto's principle. 80% of my time is dealing with 20% of problem
0: issues for the same people. Yeah, you mean the same people who really are cross that you're irritatingly cheerful at nine o'clock in the morning, those ones. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Is £30 million likely to be what the club goes for now, Kieran? That doesn't strike me as a lot for a a big club with a lot of potential.
1: Um, I I think that's probably a fair price. And, And the reason for that is that if St Andrews was in prime working order, then I'd say it's an undervalue. But whoever inherits the club... Is going to have to spend a lot of money on infrastructure on on bringing Saint Andrews back to uh, an appropriate standard, and and therefore it's a bit like if you buy a dilapidated house, you you would pay less than market value because you say, "Well, oh, look, I'm going to have to go, I'm to have to replace the kitchen, I'm going to have to go and knock down one of the walls because it's it's crumbling, and 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 therefore it needs to come off the asking price."
0: Yeah it takes it gives me no pleasure Kieran to say that we are heading for South End United mm. but it, it seems that if uh, chickens are not coming home to roost for Ron Martin they are at least flapping their wings you can you can feel the breeze from here Kieran
1: Well you can and you know South End appear on this show far too often but this is a story in relation to um, a, a sponsor who signed a three-year deal as recently as last August. The sponsor is called PG Site Services, and um, they have said we're we're not happy. Mm. We're uh, if you are sponsoring a company, then you inherit its reputational damage at times. And that's why, if you talk to Newcastle fans, they'll say, well, that's why our our commercial income never increased over the tenure of Mike Ashley's ownership. Because Mike Ashley was a divisive and some would say a toxic brand in his own right, um, sponsors didn't want to be connected with Newcastle because they felt that there would be a backlash from fans against their company." And, and we see this sort of you know guerrilla marketing um i, I remember when when team viewer uh, became manchester united's front of shirt sponsor manchester united's fans went to the equivalent of uh, you know trivago or mm. sorry of of trustpilot and started writing bad reviews against team viewer because they said we don't want you we we want to make things as awkward as we can mm. for the glazers because our objective is to is to remove them from the head of the club. Well, we saw the same uh, effectively at Newcastle. And, and now we've got the sponsors saying because of the conflict between the owner, Ron Martin, and the fan group, as effectively you know, formally represented through the, the Shrimpers Trust, who have said to fans, hey, don't, don't buy a season ticket unless you have to, because... Uh, you know, we, we want to to try to persuade Ron to leave. And you know, we, we covered the story a week or two ago that he is sort of hinting that uh, he, he might be willing to sell the club. So the PG site services have said, we don't want that reputational damage. We're looking for an exit route. Um, it does not reflect well on Ron Martin's tenure of ownership.
0: Mm. Um, from Southend to Southampton, Kieran, which is not the most elegant link I've ever done, but why make things complicated when you've got an open goal and a tapping in in front of you? Um, and we talked about the owner just a week or two ago and the impact on his finances in Serbia, but uh, he's put his hand in his pocket.
1: Yes, he, he certainly puts his money where his mouth is. So this is uh, Dragon Solak, um, the Southampton owner, who was already as spent a lot of money in terms of giving money to the the previous owners, the Luber family, Um, but that doesn't benefit the club itself. So so what's happened here is that he's put £15 million directly into the club. The benefit of that is, therefore, they're not going to MSD Holdings, they're not going to Macquarie um, and borrowing at you know, 12%, 14 15%, which is what we are seeing some clubs, even Premier League clubs, potentially having to borrow at these days um, to, to provide some working capital because uh, you know, we're sort of in a, in a relatively fallow period. Premier League clubs get quite a lot of money in June and July from the broadcasters and from sponsors. They get quite a lot of money as a rule when there are season ticket renewals, but season tickets... Don't actually cover a huge proportion of revenue for a club like Southampton, um, and and therefore there are cash requirements, and and that's what we've seen here. So uh, I think it's also a sort of a, a vote of confidence from the owner saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm aware that some people are getting slightly twitchy about my finances, but oh, yeah, it's fifteen million quid. Yeah, you know, stick that in your pipe and smoke it.
0: Mm. Um, our final story, Kieran, takes us uh, to Leeds United. Um. And again, Guy doesn't like us talking about football, but I think along with two hundred and fifty thousand other people, maybe more around the world, I watched their game against Liverpool and in a in a sympathetic way was shouting at them, You don't defend stop that. Leave some people in your own half. Stop it because it was just it, the only person in the world who thought that was good defending would be Kevin Keegan. That's how you defend <laughs> but, but, but everyone in their half. Don't worry about them having really speedy forwards that will just walk out. But, um, <laughs> while it's not a brilliant time on, on the pitch at the moment for them, their owner is being slightly optimistic elsewhere, isn't he?
1: Yes, so Andrea Raderizani, um. Th- we're fully aware that San Francisco 49ers Enterprises owns a significant stake in Leeds United at present um, with a potential view to a takeover of the club. Now, there also have been some stories running in the press that the, the asking price is, is somewhere in the region, I think four hundred to £450 million. Pounds, if Leeds United are a Premier League club, but if they are not a Premier League club then that probably drops to somewhere in the region of 100 to 150. Um, but it looks as if Andrea Rattrizani has uh, has come to the end of his involvement uh, as, as a significant investor, i.e. putting physical cash into the club. And he, and he hasn't historically been, been a person that has wanted to put money in He's he's used the fact that Leeds have got a, you know, they've got a big fan base. They they sell huge amounts of merchandise. They're very popular with broadcasters. They're very popular with with commercial partners. Um, but the story that's that's doing the rounds is that should he sell, uh, he's not going to pull out of football altogether. And, and he is what you might call a, a serial entrepreneur. He, he's made money in the broadcasting industry and other industries historically himself. Uh, but he's looking to acquire Inter Milan, which is. Uh, uh, another club with, again, you would say it's very similar to Leeds in the in the sense, you know huge fan base, iconic club, you know, good good history, and so on. Um, I- I- Italian football, I would say, and yeah, you know, appreciate he's he's far more familiar with the market than I am, given given his uh, historical links to the, to the country. Uh, I- Italian football uh, challenging is, is the politest way I can describe it. Uh, one of my relatives used to. Uh, run a bank, uh, a very senior bank, in uh, in Milan, and the the stories he used to tell me with regards to business practices—they'd even make Uncle Terry blush.
0: Oh, really? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I, I was about to wonder. I didn't know Uncle Terry could speak Italian, but obviously, if <laughs> uh, um, you—you're taking me back this, like the, the thought of Uncle Terry blushing uh, yeah, into Milan. Yeah, you say that about Italian football, Kieran but. It's quite likely that yeah there will be an Italian team in the Champions League final by the look of it one of the Milan teams so if if Inter were to get to the Champions League final and who knows win the trophy would that make them a much more expensive club to buy
1: um, I don't think so because it, ultimately it's it's a short term issue um, in the sense that yes they will uh, they'll automatically qualify for next year I think they'll qualify for next year anyway yeah. um, but uh, they. They are a club who are. Re- the important thing is to appear in the Champions League on, on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, that for a club like Inter, that is, I think, an expectation um, as far as the fans are concerned. So I, I don't see that as, as being uh, a huge issue. But it does mean that they will get extra prize money. They do qualify for the, the Super Cup. And I think, in addition, this will give them qualification for FIFA's expanded World Club Championship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there are lots of potential um, positives to come from this, which will certainly tick up the price, but it, it won't necessarily put it out of uh, out of contention as far as Mr. Randrasani is concerned.
0: But in terms of him just making money, Kieran, rather than being involved in the Champions League or the Super League and the kudos that comes with that, as you say, billionaires do like to show off to each other in terms of him making money if leeds stay up which they probably will do he's going to make more money out of being the owner of leeds united isn't he than he's out of being the owner of inter milan
1: well you know inter milan's got that that entry route into europe which leeds don't have certainly at present and he will have bought leeds for 100 and potentially sell it for 400 450 so his perspective it's 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 a it's a good deal
0: Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. Who knows, we might even buy Kieran a jacket out of the money we make from the Patreons so he doesn't disgrace us all next time he's sitting in front of Parliament. Uh, If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran McGuire for his customary farewell.
1: Uh, Well, thank you as always to to everybody and for the uh, sartorial advice that I've been given uh, by by many, by many of our viewers, David. I was quite touched by the fact that they expected me to maintain standards and uh, anybody that's ever seen me wandering the streets um, you know without the baroness I, I would look like a tramp and she does her very best uh, including uh, when I go away for a few days having to put post-it notes on my clothes because I'm so colorblind that I can't match anything up <laughs> so so uh, and I did escape the house yesterday with, without because I'd set off earlier without her without her knowing uh, but there's various ways in which you can support the show and, and uh, very thank you to to our friends at Patreon who are supporting us that way. Um, another way is, is to give us a review. It's to go onto the app from which you download the show and and to, to write whatever you think is appropriate. Apparently, it doesn't matter what you write uh, as far as the algorithms are concerned. So, you could even say you would rather have the show hosted by Momolum. And Mo Johnston, and I think that would be an intriguing clash of cultures and minds. And I certainly would listen myself.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are some practical difficulties in making that happen, Kieran, but it would be an interesting, an interesting one. I, I apologise, Kieran, for laughing at your colour blindness. That's, that's uh, insensitive of me, but just the notion of the Baroness putting little post-it notes saying "Don't wear this with this." Yes, it's, uh, I mean you didn't even wear the price of football shirt, Kieran. I think that's what that's what disappointed us, Kieran. You did. It's not. You just wore. You, have, you, you gave Fred Perry some publicity. You could have I been, love Fred. I know you love uh, Fred. I, I, we all, I've, I've got. We all love Fred. Is you know until Andrew Murray came along, he was our go-to. Tennis player, wasn't that? I mean, it wasn't Buster Mottram, was it? It was Fred Perry. That's how bad, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yes. But you could have imagined the kudos you would have got if as that guy went, order, order. His next words were, I like that shirt, mate. Where, where can I get one of them? But no. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. I suck football.